kids who endured the whole thing. Yeah. Albert's the young petite, young they were, The kids were so cute, they were asleep on the pews. Oh. They're cute. Oh. So. <laughs> and they slept pretty darn good, right through everything. <laughs> good. That's what you want. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome back, Diane. Oh, thank you. Huh. Yeah, Alice was here. Who was there? Who was there? Ruth. Ruth and me. Hey, Jim. Yeah. Jim and Phyllis. Can I sit next to you today? You yes, may. I'm there. So <laughs> all right. Let's pray. Blessed Lord has caused all holy scriptures. Be written for our learning, grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. I couldn't remember exactly where we left off. So we, I, I mean, I think we got a few verses in the 52 or 53. Okay. And it's like, I know we didn't finish it. Right? I know we're on page 848. <laughs> <laughs> I got my marker there, but I don't know where we were there. All right. And you don't have the same Bible, so. <laughs> I think, well, you and Dean have the same Bible. Yeah, we so, um, anyway, we'll, 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 we'll do a little bit of reviewing to kind of walk into this passage again. Um, again, so we've been dealing with these four passages called the Servant Songs, and, uh, we're at the, and, and this last is the uh, most well-known. Um, we read it on Good Friday, uh, and uh, it is the one that, that very prominently is used in the New Testament as the identity for um, for Christ. Um, and it says some certain things. It says some things um, that incidentally, why we're why Father Hayden in here getting coffee, I remind you that he will be with you next week. Okay. Wow. My, I'm minded, we're doing these Old Testament resurrection passages, I think. I'm minded to throw a, a lob up Ezekiel 37 to you. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, so that might be a. Oh, we have good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, that'll be cool. So um, it's notable, though, but it because it highlights um, some of the disconcerts. Well, so if we um, look, for example, at the resurrection narratives, we're reading through those certainly the daily offices, and um, the main consternation about the crucifixion from those who believe Jesus to be the Messiah was that this is not what they expected the Messiah to do. He's supposed to save Israel. He's supposed to um, operate in a different way. And Isaiah 53 um, seems to express some of these themes that are disconcerting. 
And so, and so that is okay. Well, here's here we, we find in the Old Testament then indications <clears throat> that the Messiah will not simply be, you know, uh, on a uninterrupted march to triumph and and save Israel, but there'll be some. Um, Hi. So there, there there'll, there'll be some um, opposition, and I and. and and the, the servant of Isaiah 53 looks a lot more like Jesus than what people expected Jesus to be as the Messiah. So that's why it's a significant passage. Um, so I know we went through 52. He mentions in the last few verses of 52, my servant shall deal prudently, be exalted and extolled. We talked about this as being the... Um, Prudently is wisely, you know, we talked about, um, the, the, you know, the whole servant thing of like the servant of Abraham, how faithful he was. That that's to some degree, the idea of the servant here is related to the servant of, a, you know, a king or a, somebody who can be trusted to do. Um, uh, much like in the New Testament, we talk about in the parable of the talents, he gave the servants various amounts and he was faithful. Um, but we get immediately into the um, as many were astonished at you for his visage was marred more than any man in his form more than the sons of men and verse 14 of, of chapter 52 that we talked about being stunned marveling at this and uh, that we, we're, we immediately have introduced here then this disconcerting idea. Well, this is this is the servant, the Messiah, in a certain way, but why is he going to be marred? Why is he going to be just, you know, his form? Is, what, what's about that? And the marveling is like, huh. and the marveling here could be the marveling of everyone on Good Friday. Like, Wait a minute. This is a weird thing happening. It doesn't fit. They would have never thought that it was them themselves that marred their Savior, who they were looking for, their Messiah. Right. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. Because the narrative of, or much of the narrative of the Old Testament, prophetic narrative about, is the idea of God voting for Israel over and against her enemies were seen as the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So salvation was seen as the justification of Israel mm -hmm. over and against those who oppress her and surround her. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the, the irony of the New Testament embodied in this passage is that Jesus is the embodiment of Israel. And turns out it's not the Gentiles who surround him and oppose right. him, but his own people. Right. In truth, um, in truth, if, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the truth be told about it in the New Testament, actually the crucifixion is a conspiracy mm -hmm. of Gentile powers and Israel, mm -hmm. tried by the Sanhedrin, handed over to Pilate, mm -hmm. who has the judicial power to do this. And you'll see actually this kind of conspiracy throughout Acts when St. Paul goes and preaches in 
cities of Asia Minor and Greece, and he goes to the synagogue, and they're upset, and so they try to hand him over to the authorities who have the ability to do something to keep the peace. Um, I believe, although this um, were, you know, it's not directly related to this passage, uh, in Revelation, <clears throat> where you have the image of the of the um, the whore of Babylon, which comes up, I believe, in chapter 17, 18, um, on the back of the beast, um, when one really looks at the New Testament evidence, um, <clears throat> it really fits that this is Israel, the unfaithful bride, mm-hmm. on the back of the beast who is Rome, using the royal power to to sustain her, and that fits the story about this. And, and all of them, therefore, uh, against Jesus. And of course, the Good Friday narrative for us is not just what Israel did, but you know we're, we're all in this narrative. So it, yeah. it's, it's everybody ends up being guilty, but that's the, and, and, and that's how Israel's reconfigured, is that Israel is no longer um, defined by ethnicity, but defined by faith in Jesus, who epitomizes and embodies Israel as person. Mm-hmm. So... When I think about what you just said um, with Israel and the Gentiles, in essence, it represents all of mankind. Exactly. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also enduring um, this pattern. We want to be careful about getting our 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 images, biblical images, frozen in time because it's the constant temptation of the church to also rely on secular power and not on God and find itself standing over and against you know our Lord, who is always and that's a it's a continuous challenge, and I think that's something certainly in West in the Western Christian sphere where we've had standing in in, the, in society. To, it's it's certainly tempting to um, lean on that and make certain kinds of compromises to the, to a pure trust in Jesus because well, mm-hmm. this works better this way. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, all of these biblical images, though they have an historical manifestation, also have a, a pattern that we embrace, we, that if we understand it in the right way, have a prophetic message for us. And incidentally, this is it's interesting in this in, in Revelation, which again is uh, a book that picks up light themes, when you look at the letters to the churches, in, the, in chapters two and three of Revelation, um, you'll you'll see like uh, I have this against you. You tolerate Jezebel, mm-hmm. faithful woman, mm-hmm. like the and and there's always a danger of the bride becoming unfaithful mm-hmm. by by um, so so what what you what I think what I think you have in Revelation is the warning to the church at the beginning. As a prelude to the to the to the end of the old covenant and the beginning of the new, that the judgment that comes, but the church is always, you know, there's always that danger. We always have to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. We ought to do a study on that. What's that? A lot of people, a lot of people on YouTube and stuff, talk about the Jezebel spirit and blah 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 blah. But 
I would love to know what 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 that is to understand how to make sure keep it out of our church and out of our own lives. Well, I mean, you know, I think the we see Jessica. We, we could, I mean, it's, it, we could do a study on it. Certainly, look at her, and, and I'm happy to, we, that that might be fruitful. It, it is though that um, it's a it's a spirit of unfaithfulness that mm-hmm. that compromises with that compromises the, the standards and values of the faith in order to get gain. What you're always talking about. Yeah, that's what you're always talking about. That's just stay tuned, yo. That's right. I mean, you know. You feel prophets, you feel, yeah. 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 So. And pretended to be one. Well, she was probably a priestess of the Baal cult uh, that that, uh, came from, uh, you know, Tyre or Sidon. And so that was, uh, uh, of course, uh, Ahab's guilt was to marry into that, and that was one of the chief problems, that was one of the chief complaints of God against Israel, is you make alliances with foreign countries Mm -hmm. to to get power and influence, but then uh, that was one, that was the big thing that Solomon did, because he married many foreign women, or as the King James says, many strange women. But every time he married a foreign princess and brought her to Jerusalem, he had to set up a shrine to her god in Jerusalem. And that's how Jerusalem at root became so idolatrous, including a child sacrifice shrine. So this this is, you you get this deal, well, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. We're just doing this. But it is a big deal. You're tolerating the Jezebel. So you you have, it's it's kind of like, um, um, You, you, you have to, we have to root out our compromises at the very beginning seed level. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes we justify what we think are small things, no big deal. Um, so, yeah. So, I think that's, that's the, it, it's a challenge because it's a constant challenge. Okay. Let's read on here. So, uh, verse 15, so he'll sprinkle many nations, an illusion to baptism there. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. I think it means they will go, they will also, uh, oh, because this, because the, the irony of history, of course, is this crucified, marred savior has through the church spread the kingdom throughout the world. With enough and told them they shall see what they have not heard, they shall consider. Um, 50 is the one chapter 50. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Um, this is quoted in Romans 10 15. Who believes what we have to say? Um, which means that. The good news of a of a suffering savior is like yeah 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 because the rhetorical question is no one's believing this. We don't want to hear this. We want and, to hear. And, and when you when you hear the gospel is we St. Paul says we preach Christ crucified you know mm-hmm. to the uh, Greek foolishness and, and to the Jews um, you know nobody likes to hear this. 
But the arm of the Lord, and this is the this is the paradox, is the power of the Lord is revealed through the cross. And so that's that's how we have to understand that it's made manifest in the weakness that we see. So verse two. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. What we had to do this here. So you shall, um, he should grow up before him as a tender plant. I think this means the servant will grow up before God as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground. Um, <coughs> would, would perhaps be an image of um, Israel being not a very fruitful nation at the time. But here's a, here's a seed. It kind of harkens to the Isaiah prophecy, a, a, a rod of Jesse's stem. That's right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you've got a, a remnant of Israel, the nation, is a shadow of its former self in the first century, but out of that comes this new seed of growth. He has no form or comeliness. So he, he's not notable for his physical appearance. Not like a David that was that was a, a good looking young man. Right. Saul. Or Saul who was yeah. Saul. Yeah. 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 They were attracted to his physical presence, right. but yeah. It's interesting too in the artwork. Always like the yeah. woman artwork of Jesus always has him, you know, on like on his football scholarship to SC. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So the the real Jesus, I mean, a real portrait has has this kind of. Um, it's not. I don't think he was like ugly, but it's not the thing you notice about him is not wow. I noticed that. I've always noticed about about uh, uh, even our area tends to be very visibly conscious. Hmm. I hear people talk it's like, "Oh, you're looking great." Yeah, right. It's, you know, and yet the reality of. Where's the in, what's the inward reality? And this is the point that this not this nondescript human appearance of Jesus is the Son of God, and that's the mystery. And so for this is why the Bible continually tells us not to focus on the outward appearance, but on the life of Christ in us, being being uh, in His image. And it's one reason why physical problems should spiritually help us lead us to depend more on God. Um, I noticed that just walking up the stairs. Slide <laughs> 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 up, now I crawl up. <laughs> when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I should note here that um, when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, we can think of the passion and the cross. However, um, this seems to be true even in the resurrection. When two men walk for seven miles on the road to Emmaus and see him, right. and there's nothing about the appearance itself right, right. That, that's, oh, yeah, I want to follow this guy. So it's not... Um, but their hearts were burning inside them. Yeah, hearts were burning. It's right inside them. Yeah. And so the, yeah. the idea that, it, that leaders in our time, they're usually charismatic in yeah. some way. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the pervasiveness of speech or the appearance right. of um, power. 
But don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That was your, you know, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying me. I'm just saying God will still. Well, it, it, it's, I mean, I, we, 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 we love you. I know, I don't always believe it. I, 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 I know, know that's, 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 that's It's an old avenue. avenue. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I'm just saying, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, there was a spiritual life that reminds us of something that, that all these physical attributes, whether it be strength of body, beauty of appearance, mm. wealth, mm-hmm. are, in terms of the spiritual life, also challenges and temptations. Mm-hmm. And it's always, when you bring in the spiritual life, the question is, is how, do, how does this serve? Right. Uh, my, my, my serving God. And that's how the narrative of, 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 of faith, living our lives in the sense of time and the sense of story that comprises the kingdom of God is, um, at odds with the world. Because mm-hmm. the world is only always asking, how are you going to feel? How are you going to be happy today? How are you going to look good today? And there's a perpetual pursuit of, of youth and beauty and, uh, and look, you know, we're all going to try to look our best, and and those are normal and natural human things. But if we find ourselves obsessing about it, mm-hmm. or if we find ourselves unwilling to age gracefully and let go, we've we've caught a secular human narrative. Mm-hmm. This is and, and and so I see this in the church a lot. People just like, oh, that and that that's not. I mean, you, you won't find it in the Bible. <clears throat> an overarching preoccupation with how we hold on to youth and beauty and never face death. You have the hope of, you have the reality of what God is doing within us as the outward, even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so it, it's the challenge of spiritual life to orient you know, our focus in that way. And, and when we have something that is... Um, attractive or valuable in, in the eyes of the world, it's all the more important that we put it in the service of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that if we have wealth, we've got to be generous. If we have beauty, we have to be humble about it and not, and not if we have, those are things because they're temptations as well as. Or talents, the, talents, uh, talents and gifts. Like talents and gifts. We have yeah, like professional maybe. baseball players or whoever. You know, yeah, yeah, you can Kevin that can make $20,000 guitars. Yeah, you, you, could, you could use them to be a real you know, ass, or you could be them. So they're temptations. That's why yes, my point yes. is, and, and the spiritual life always um, always assesses everything in terms of the kingdom. So, so he has no, even, even in resurrection, there's no beauty that we should desire. So I'm curious about that. It, it seems like, so they didn't recognize him, and I've heard, you know, uh, Explanations like, oh, he was so marred, he was so, you know, but that doesn't it makes no sense. No, they walk for seven a, miles, they take yeah. him to a hospital or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I don't think it's a great mystery, honestly. Yeah, no. I, can, I can tell you exactly why. I can tell you exactly the mis- what the just was teaching us there. It's not any great insight. It, it makes it clear that you can only see the risen Christ through eyes of faith, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and until people are brought to faith. Their eyes are open, they can't see him. And that remains the fact of, of the gospel in the world. Until eyes are open, people can't see him. 
Mary doesn't see him until he speaks her name. Oh, there you are. The, the two men road to Emmaus is clearly a Eucharistic teaching of the early church, a, a message. The, the word on the way, they enter the home, he takes, he blesses, he breaks, he gives bread. Their eyes are open, they know him. Mm-hmm. Word, sacrament. All Thomas, these, Thomas in the upper room. Yeah, upper, even Thomas, upper, he's like, upper room, doesn't, doesn't believe seem them to, all. He, he, yeah. he, gets, he gets the visible confirmation. Right. Um, and um, so <clears throat> you, you, there are various, you know, to problem, but that's the fact that the New Testament says nobody without faith can see him. Mm. And that's why when we're praying for conversions and mission, mm-hmm. we always have to pray for eyes to be open yeah. to see. Yeah. And we have to resist the idea that we're going to convince somebody by merely rational argument mm-hmm. that, that this, that this you, it doesn't happen that way. So, yeah. so even in the, the road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were prevented right. from mm-hmm. seeing him. So, well, yeah. And that's a tie, again, that, tie, that ties back to um, Luke 18, where we start on uh, Quinquagesima, when Jesus predicts the passion, and they don't know what he's talking about, and the saying was hidden from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so their, their eyes are open. There's a, you know, he gets into that, well, this is mean they came to faith, or faith was given to them as a gift. It seems to be a cooperative venture mm-hmm. in some way, mm-hmm. that, that someone's open to seeing is able to see. Well, what Father Hayden was just saying in the Mass was this idea, and he said on Tuesday night too, that Thomas was still showing up. He was still being a regular attendant with them. So it's eight days later, and he hadn't seen him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's still going. Yeah. Yeah, right. We have some local defenders of Thomas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. community after St. Thomas. Yeah, right. So, so the... I, I'm thinking right now of, of Saul on the road to Damascus and things like scales yeah, fall from fell. his eyes. We've given blindness, yeah, physical blindness, right. until yeah. the, and, and, and are opened by a disciple whom he had really gone to arrest. Yeah, right. Um, so it's a lot, but that's, and even, even in our um, growth in the faith, even, you know, St. Paul has a passage in Ephesians that, uh, that, that he, he prays that you know you'll you'll see more mm-hmm. because that's what our growth is. Oh, there's a lot of aha experiences yes. in understanding yes. how God works in new ways. It's a, it's a growing uh, sight. Yeah. We're, we're as we get older and lose our sight, our spiritual sight <laughs> can become closer to 2020. It's true. Because that's that's, a, that's, that's that's why as we get more wisdom. And we're so foolish as a culture to discount wisdom in favor of, you know, of, of wanting to be young and stupid again. <laughs> and everyone wants to be young and wise, but you, you're only, you only have wisdom because you were stupid and you found it didn't work out, <laughs> and sure. now you learned a lesson. You can't, you can't, you can't have the results <laughs> without the lesson. <laughs> you can't get in shape without the workout. So that's, right. that's it's the natural progress. Of it is amazing how much we keep seeing and keep seeing. You know, every time we go through Bible study, it's like, oh my gosh, there's just more and more and more. Do you think it would, you know? Yeah. So verse three, he was he is despised and rejected by men. He John it, it harkens to John one ten. He came into his own, and his own received him not. 
the world was made by him and the world knew him not. It's a, it's a profound thing that we don't recognize our maker mm-hmm. because we've turned away mm-hmm. and wanted our way. I see this a lot in, um, I mean, you see in our culture, and we all, we all participate in it a little bit, but in its extreme form, you know. I can't believe in a God who do this. Step back for a second. <laughs> if, if it's God, you do whatever he wants to do. And you're lucky to be alive in the world he made. And maybe your goal is to figure out how to see the world the way he sees it. But but we've kind of, um, you know, it's it's like um, C.S. Lewis has an essay called God in the Dock, mm-hmm. where he talks about how we turned it around. We used to feel like we were being judged by God, and now we sit there and say, yeah, God, I don't. You know, and, and then the whole modern sense of identity comes out of what I think I am not what God has made me to be. And um, th- this, is, this is why we reject him. But, but the, the thing to understand about this, and this is something I think is really, really important in the contemporary world, we argue about gender identity or whatever. It's, it's reality is reality. That is, things are the way they are. Jesus is Lord. God is Trinity. The world was made by him. The, the order of the, of the world and the Torah, the principles and principles mm-hmm. of love, are the things that define reality. When we decide we're going to reject that and do our own thing, what we do is we, 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 we begin to um, not being held together in New Testament terms by the word, we begin to disintegrate. Yeah. And that's what's, that's what's going to happen to our world is, as it tries to say it can behave the way it wants to behave mm-hmm. and not it disintegrates. And we do that ourselves. Oh, this is great. Let's go you know, fast forward that. I mean, that's, that is sort of the long-term lesson of the sexual revolution. Yeah, we're free. Let's just look at the carnage now. Mm-hmm. Just see, how, how's that working yeah, right. for everybody? For you. You know, it's not, it's not. And sometimes we have personal lessons that way that we want to like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. So um, that's the point of he, he, came, but he, he came into his, you know, he, he is despised and rejected by men. We reject our creator. We want the world we want, not the world that God has made. And that's a profound thing to meditate on. And they love the darkness more than the light. Yeah. He despised, rejected by men. A man of so well, because the other thing about the darkness, red and light is once we have rejected him, we're afraid to say. <laughs> Pride. And this is why in the Bible, I was Father, I guess they said it before here, but I always like credit Father Joe Miller was with my epiphany that King David was the first man in the Bible to make a good confession. Mm-hmm. First man who when somebody said, This you did, he said, Yeah, I did it. Wrote a song and, and repented. And, and uh, you come up here, come up here, come up higher. Sit on the right hand. Yeah. So, yes, yes, not on the left. Yes, sit on the right hand. Um, so, I'm afraid that was. David was the first David, to make David, David, David. So, um, and this, I think this is what sometimes missed, and it's also the. Um, it's a profound, profound lesson. I mean, obviously, it changed David's kingship forever. God, God chooses a murderer, adulterer. 
is through repentance. Yes. Okay, let's think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what God wants your heart to re- to recognize that you've done wrong and wants you to put your faith in him. And David does that. That's why he's a man of God's own heart. Right. Not because because we want oh no. Yeah, I remember you spent the Old Testament with this uh, up in Palos Verdes. Well, Mimi used to, a friend of Mimi's, uh, we had a Bible study in Palos Verdes. Um, she used to come, she really didn't like studying the Old Testament because these people are so bad. <laughs> and, um, and it was like, yeah, do you not see yourself? <laughs> when we turn Christianity or the church into us good people or bad people, and even even there, this is something that must inform our message to the world is, it, and this is why we have to be careful about the moralism, because most of the disintegration of our culture is a symptom mm-hmm. of people's distance from God. Mm-hmm. And we, while we must say that right is right and wrong is wrong, the real thing now is to provide a, well, hey, come, repent. The kingdom of God is, you can live in a different way, because it's not working, and this is... And the world, people aren't beneath all the bravado of social media and protest. Underneath it, people aren't very happy. Mm-hmm. And that's, so we want, that's why, you know, the, the moralism, where we as a church rail against, you know, pro-life or this or that. Out, meanwhile, out there, people have been broken to pieces by this. Yeah. So we know what we stand for. And we're not going to say that right is wrong or wrong is right. But, but um, we want to humiliate and understand as St. Paul says in Corinthians, and such were some of you, mm-hmm. that we've all had our time in yes. doing what we ought not to have done, yes. we've experienced, so that the moral confrontation is come. It's not, and that's that self-righteousness is a real danger um, for the church. And I think sometimes people think they've done wrong, so they they can't come into God's presence, and that's where we can be that courage. I think that's right. I think that's right. I, I think there is this. Um, what well, was it was you know in the in the um, the older evangelical gospel presentation was rooted in a pattern that said the first thing we can do is make you feel really bad so you know you're a sinner. Then we'll bring out Jesus and and say he can save you from your sins. Now that's not faulty logic. I don't I pray to Romans and all that all that good stuff. But I've discovered in ministry though the while there are some people who need conviction, um, the more presenting problem we have in our culture, people feel so bad about themselves that they find themselves to be unbeamable. And so this is why moralism, you find someone who's stuck in some pattern of behavior full of self loathing, you go and say <laughs> You know, you're really bad, don't you know? It's like, yeah, you know. And so that's why that's why um, the, the conviction I, I discover when people are struggling comes fairly naturally. What they really need is come and value that makes them want to live for something, a way out of the stuckness into something larger. And that's why I don't think our ministry is, though we're a very, you know, our, our beliefs, what the church has always believed, there's no fudging on that. We're not, we don't engage a lot of moralism because that's not that makes us feel good about ourselves and and and, and we're lying you know for not being self-examining on that so that's kind of how this this works out that that um ironically the church should be the place where we understand we've fallen short and people outside should be the ones that you know we're just fine mm-hmm. that's that's really that so we despise uh, we we reject god when we don't accept his verdict it's true. It, 
going through the Old Testament, like at night, looking at, you know, Israel rebelling, and how much God is, is constantly saying, come back, come, you know, just come back. Yeah. And that's, and that's why a, a church community is a place, first of all, we have to cultivate that actual life of redemption ourselves so that in as much as we have each of us experience the reality of sin and wound and, and pain, we are now beginning to experience a kind of healing through the presence of Christ with us and the connection with others in Christ that becomes, uh, so the mission is, it becomes attractive to the world. People see there's something different here that I want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And whereas too often the church is, you know, yelling at the world yeah. and it doesn't look any more attractive to anybody. It just looks a lot like what's going on. Let's carry on here into um, stuff. Uh, a man, he was a man of despised, rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Kind of touching on Alex, we're going over again. It's, it's like sometimes we see things that confront us. We don't want to, like the homeless person. We don't, we don't want to. I don't want to confront this today, so we have to look at that in ourselves. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And that's the Good Friday narrative. We, listen to Isaiah, we did not esteem them. Not the Gentiles did not esteem them, or those bad people out there did not esteem them. We did not esteem them. Which is also through prophetic. It's, it's prophetic of Good Friday. We, our country, crucify him, crucify him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So we're getting into this 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 idea of um, what he did for us in the suffering, which we can talk about. Um, I'll read a couple verses and we'll make comments through. But okay. he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So what he is doing, as we oppose him, he's doing it for us. That's a tremendous irony of Good Friday that he's dying for those who kill him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we think about this, and I, first of all, we understand what he did for us, we also have to begin to conceive ourself, of ourselves as the body of Christ. Can we do that for others? Mm -hmm. Can we love in the face of those who hate us? Mm -hmm. because, because we're so connected to the Father through the Son and the Spirit that we desire their good because... Because that's just what God does. God can't not love. And, and only God can love this way. And we can only love this way in as much as we partake of this nature and learn. And, and I, think it's, I think the resources in my own experience have been only when I realize that he loves me that way can I kind of go, all right. <laughs> <laughs> So that, right. part, that part where somebody says uh, his sin, the sins that are you're, you've forgiven are forgiven, those sins that you retain are retained. What would be a sin that would not be forgivable? Well, what I think what Jesus is doing, <clears throat> Carol's talking about the um, 
appearance in the upper room on Easter night mm -hmm. without Thomas, uh, which is our gospel for last Sunday. Mm -hmm. And Jesus breathed on them mm -hmm. and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Where does that, what does that hearken to in the Bible? Genesis. <laughs> well, oh, even before God that. Creating man. God. He breathed well, over the water. Genesis, yeah, yeah. chapter 2, right. verse 7. He oh, formed man from the dust of the ground breathed and breathed into his nostrils and breath. So Jesus here, when he breathes on them, it really hearkens to that Genesis 2 7 verse. And what and the breath of life he gives them is therefore immediately connected with forgiveness. You now I'm giving you life. You, by the proclamation of forgiveness, have the power to raise those who are dead in sin to life through forgiveness. And it's it's in a certain way giving the the apostolic band that it's it, this can be misunderstood. The, we talk about authority because I think it comes up in in kind of the Western tradition of ah, priests can't tell me authority. Me, it's like that's not really what Jesus is talking about. He's talking he's talking about the authority to tell you it's so. And so this is why the power of forgiveness in confession and how we experience it in the church. It's not an opinion. To say your sins are forgiven is like it doesn't. It is that way, and the apostles have authority to 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 proclaim that. And if they see, and then, and the authority to retain would be the authority. It was well. I should just be clear. It was interpreted in the church as disciplinary authority. Mm -hmm. your, the penitent comes back. You'll spend a year here <clears throat> thinking about that, and the bishop had the authority. To, to call someone back into communion uh, when, when he thought it was time. Like the people lapsed under persecution, denied the faith, often they spent some time. Uh, but that's the authority of discipline. Who, who, is, who, is, um, who is the discipline of the body of Christ? How you exclude, how you include. Rather than, you, you, this is sin you did, couldn't do. It's not about micromanaging individual sins. It's about connection to Christ or non-connection to Christ. Is it also, there isn't any unforgivable sin, is there? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That, but, okay. Yeah, okay. Which seems to me to, to mean to reject the, the, the testimony of the Holy Spirit is given. Blasphemy to call him a liar. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, so that seems to be the thing. Isn't that was what I was going to say? Isn't that what this is about? Not, not discounting what you said about the authority in the church, but here where it's being discussed as, or back in the upper room where it's being discussed as, I give you the authority to proclaim sins are forgiven. And for those who do not believe, you can't forgive that. Right. So it's, you know, for those who are not forgiven to declare that too, you know, that I, right. that's how I'm thinking. I think that's right. But, but the church always historically, if you read the fathers, they, this was, was carried out in the church as church discipline as well. Yeah. I think too, of where Jesus told them, you know, to brush the dust off their feet, you know, if the gospel wasn't received, yes, you can't proclaim that that's, that you're forgiven. If there's no faith there. You know? Well, I, I think one of, the, one of the, the, the things here that's significant is, again, because we think so individually, is um, Jesus really envisioning the church as his body. Mm -hmm. 
to be functionally in the church, in his body, active in the community, you know, in communion in historical terms, is to be forgiven. To be removed from the body outside the redeemed community. And that's why St. Augustine had, you know, famous lines, outside the church there is no salvation. It touches on this. It's not like arbitrarily, God wants everyone to be saved. But the point is simply, we hope there's some way... But, but the, 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 the real um, experience of grace and forgiveness is within the community of the redeemed around the, the sacrament of baptism and communion, which we experience as reality. And then so outside of that, if, 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 if they're not receiving it, or if there's discipline that says you, you have to be aside for a while because something needs to be dealt with, there's that. Okay, let's, uh, so, um, born our griefs and carried our sorrow, we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We remember that, um, this attitude that when somebody is suffering, uh, there, there's in the Bible this tendency to think, well, there must be something wrong with you. You must. So Job, who we're told is a righteous man that is afflicted, his friends come and say, you must have done something wrong. She better repent. We, they esteemed him smitten by God and afflicted. And remember, there's a story in the Gospels where they, they come to Jesus, the apostles come to you and say, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born right. blind. Right. Somebody must have done something wrong because the, the condition of suffering does not comport with God's favor. So that's, that's what this is about. But, verse 5 says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So all these things we thought were a consequence of who he was, he was actually doing for us. Um, and now there's a, a reality here uh, that th- this is ultimately the, the, the full development of what you would call in the Bible uh, the remnant concept. Mm. And uh, if I can just briefly review it, you know, that you, you have this phenomenon throughout the Bible where some minority group does something that benefits the larger. It goes back to, to Noah and the flood, that there's judgment on the whole, but Noah is righteous. So on his account, the human race will continue. And, and so his, his faith, in a sense, uh, averts judgment. Um, you, you'll have this in the intercession of Abraham for Sodom, we talked God down. If you find ten, of course, you didn't find ten, so it didn't really work. But but the interceding prayer um, did have it was seen to be uh, efficacious, um, and so God God throughout seems to preserve um, even sometimes those who are not good because of those who are good who intercede for them. But this passage expands that 
because now not only are they just being preserved, they're actually being redeemed. And it's, 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 it's not only that this, the, the faith of this person avails for that, but this person actually taking upon himself that which rightly belongs to them. And so, so and, and this is only possible, we know, in the full light of the New Testament, because Jesus is um, actually righteous, and therefore his righteousness has a, um, a plus value for, for the community. It, it can avail to those who are not righteous. So this is how he can carry our sorrows uh, and... Uh, uh, how you bruise for our iniquities. And now, the extension of this um, for us as people who represent Christ in the world and take some suffering, St. Paul says, I, I, um, I fill up in my body that which is lacking the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his kingdom. This implies that as Christ suffered for us in a unique and one-off way, we as members of his body have a similar vocation to, to um, bear some of the pain of the world and intercede for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I still remember, actually, um, it was... Um, Cheryl, there's actually a conversation with you and Kevin in our class mm-hmm. about forgiveness and, and um, bearing the sins of others. Because uh, I still remember the mm-hmm. because because you objected. You said, "Well, we were talking about this book about how you can do this," and you objected. Well, that you could you could image like bearing the sins of others could be like you're a sponge, mm-hmm. and all the sins of others, if they're red dye, just all of a sudden you're all you know, you're all contaminated by, by, by what they have. Mm-hmm. But I remember Kevin had this image of, well, there's that image, and he said, but you could also have the image of if you are uh, have a mattress and you stand it upright and take a baseball and you throw it against the mattress, it will, it will contract, it will come back. Mm-hmm. It can absorb the blow without being contaminated by it. Mm-hmm. And so because we living in Christ have the ability to to live in him with strength that can stand in for others. We have to be careful about how we, we do this because we really take on the burden of others to be overwhelming. So we have to be clear about having great support and connection and prayer and, you know, the intercession and, and the strengthening. But my, the, my point simply is that, that we also are now called to be the you know, the body of Christ is the servant in the world, and it, that's the same kind of thing, where we can, we can um, sometimes, for example, and, and, and I think this actually comes out in some of the New Testament teaching, you know, uh, you know, forgiving one another is God, for Christ's sake, is forgiving you. Um, never repay evil for evil, but, 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 but bless. Mm-hmm. You're absorbing a blow and you're responding with the good and your redemptive presence, which breaks the cycle. Because that happens in the world is like, you yell at me, and we go back and we escalate. Yeah. Right. And the redemptive thing is to de escalate. That yes. our Lord responds to the whole human history of sin 
by dying for it. Mm-hmm. And now when everyone's angry, it's really hard to do. But we so might hard. rise to it <laughs> three out of ten times or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but um, the non-anxious presence. <laughs> what what we can do is, I think, is in our as we go in our prayers, because we will be angry and reactive to people mm-hmm. around us. We can work on not actually saying or doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Coming back to our prayer, out of the resources of prayer and grace, then acting in a better way. We usually have to have a gap between the triggered reaction emotionality when somebody says something to me and I'm ready to kill them. Uh-huh. I, I have to learn to, to be aware of the of the of the emotion rising in me. I read, I remove myself situation, put myself back together and come out and then but that so don't talk or act or write when you're in that place. <laughs> then come and, and, and come back with, with with love after you've done that. Uh, that's, I think that's how we can do that. That's what I told my son when he was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And he, he got in a fight and had to go to the principal's office. <laughs> Don't react. Breathe and remove yourself. It, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, of course, that's the problem with what I'm saying for, for a five-year-old. I've actually heard a Christian teacher once say that it's, it's okay for a, a younger guy to defend himself because what I'm telling you is like Christianity 501. <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're being treated unjustly, you stand up for it. Only, because here's, here's part of the thing about, about this. This is a larger question. Mm-hmm. And since I promised Hayden Ezekiel 37, we must finish Isaiah 53. Um, <laughs> but um, you can only do this if you if you understand you have the power to not do this. So so for example, because I can stand up to you and say, you know, I can choose not to. But if I have a uh, a psychology of victimization, I'm just always absorbing that, that's not what you're talking about here. So so Early on in life, having some sense of justice and fairness mm-hmm. and your ability to stand. And, and sometimes, incidentally, like we're, we're talking about bearing sin, but sometimes we're called to stand up to something. Yeah. No, we're not doing yes. this. This is, we have to establish <laughs> something. This, um, not responding to evil with evil does not mean not standing up to evil. Mm-hmm. Saying this is wrong. It, 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 it means not. Becoming guilty ourselves by doing the wrong thing in response. And so this kind of, those, those are some of the parameters. That's very important because in a church, a lot of times you get a lot of giving personalities. They think by just giving everything to everybody, they're really following Jesus, but they're, they just haven't learned to have enough sense of self to say, no, I'm not going to do this. Because mm-hmm. if I can't say, no, I'm not going to do this, I'm not free to do it. I can't give if I can't not give. And so Jesus freely does this. And we really have to grow in our sense of who we are in Christ before we can really stand in the gap this way. It's a hard thing, especially if people that experience significant pain in life, you have to work through that to get to a point where you can. Yeah, when your boundaries fit. Can I ask you a question about Christ being cut off from the presence of the Father? Because I heard you say something. Where do you see that? No, I'm not seeing it in here, but, but, you know, just that he was stricken, he was bruised, and all, you know, that... I was kind of, and I don't know where exactly I got it, that Jesus was completely cut off from the Father. Yeah, I don't think that that's true. I think Father Hayden, actually, his sermon on Good Friday touched on this in a very good way. 
I think when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't refer to the fact that the Father has forsaken him. It refers to his, I think, identity with the human existential experience of feeling alone. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, so he identifies with how we feel, but the truth is, God has never forsaken us. Uh-huh. In our darkest hour, the worst thing has happened to you. God was not not there. Yeah. Yeah. Good distinction. So he wasn't literally cut off from from the, the because how could he be? Because he didn't. He bore sin, but he didn't. You know, he didn't. That's right. So that's right. Okay. So that, that that the image that the what you were asking about the image that that comes that has been painted is that God turned His back entirely on right. Christ. Right, right. So that's he's quoting the Psalm. Read the whole Psalm, and God never yeah. has done that right. in that Psalm. But you kind of you're, you're, there's teaching. Well, and, and, and the whole the whole yeah. point is, and I guess we should we should be clear about not we always should frame this in a biblical perspective mm-hmm. because what what the what the the Old Testament, in regards to Israel, really focuses on his vindication. And um, you'll see as the Psalm 22 goes on, that this, uh, there's vindication. Mm-hmm. Is not despised nor reward the lowest day of the poor. He cried out, he heard him. He, he, mm-hmm. so, so, so that Easter is the vindication the showing that despite the appearance right. of separation, okay. yeah. this yeah. has always been the one upon whom God's favor rests, and all the more so because he was able to love so 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 deeply for us. Thank you. So all we um, so by, and by his stripes we are healed, and this is where we have to find our healing in. Um, I think our healing is. Um, giving up our fight for self because um, most of us have a battle where we didn't get what we wanted or we're mad about something or sad about something. We're going to hold on to the world we wanted and fight for it and and letting go of that battle and letting Christ come into our real lives, heal our real wounds and move forward into the new world he has. Giving up the world we wanted but didn't get giving up the good we wanted but didn't get, and accepting the good that God is actually going to give us, I think that's the healing, is to accept it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, to then realize it's, it's, not only is it much better, but it's the only world that exists. Yeah. <laughs> so Everything true. else is unreality. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of the soul. Now, um, First Peter, our epistle this coming Sunday, will quote this verse. And he'll say, we've like sheep gone astray, but now we've returned to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Mm-hmm. And Peter's point is, now you follow him. How do you follow him? Through the cross, mm-hmm. to the resurrection. And that speaks to our vocation to, to, to be this to the world and to others in the body. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now this is something that struck me, this, this whole, the, the silent sufferer. Hmm. 
is an image that's picked up, I think, most clearly by Matthew and Mark. And it, it struck me, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose I read it somewhere, but I never really realized it until the first year we did the Passion Narrative by Parts on Palm Sunday, where you do Matthew's Gospel, and so I'm writing my part like there's no part. He's just standing there like a sheep before his shears. He's much more chatty in Luke and John, but Mark and Matthew are both, he's just, there's nothing to say. Thou sayest, you know, it's okay. <laughs> And so it was a sheep before a shear society, not a cow. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Arrested, judged, who will declare his generation? He was cut off in the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Interesting. Notice that that is the interesting thing is is it is in this passage is that, is that we are rejecting him and yet he's stricken for us. And of course, the other thing we get here is my people now in the fullest Christian sense is all who put their faith in him. And because we have this throughout this, the servant songs is the servant is for Israel and the Gentiles. All who put their faith. So um, it's expansive, and this is the this is the challenge of love in being like this is both not returning evil to evil and also desiring that the evil come into relationship, even though we're being hurt by it. An actual positive motive. Um, so that as he is stricken for his enemies, so we are willing to love even our enemies and desire their good. It's a wonderful concept. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially for the ego. And they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich in his death. And that's, um, you know, I think that means in, in New Testament terms, he had crucified between two thieves, but the rich, he was, he was buried by Joseph, uh, of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who apparently were wealthy men, and gave them his tomb. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Mm. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him when he is put into grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Now, if you look at this, if we go back to Psalm 22, Psalm 22 has the same narrative shift, somewhere around verse 19 or 20. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. <clears throat> so this already is speaking of resurrection. Mm. Somehow he's born all this, but now in the grave, it's almost they have a full narrative of resurrection here. Wow. But through the grave and gate of death, now it, 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 he will he will continue on his his um, mission. It reminds me of Sarah's dead womb, sort mm. of. God made it back alive, yeah. and Isaac came. Because yeah. the cave is like that, you know, like a womb. I don't know. Well, I think all so the images works because yeah. being born again, 
yeah. uh, in you know in the baptismal font, new life, we all that stuff. It does work. Yeah. Mm. You shall see the labor of the soul and be satisfied. So mm-hmm. his labor, it is finished. Mm-hmm. I did my work, and now the fruit of that work will. Which also says to us in Christ is our labor in him, <clears throat> though sometimes it seems fruitless. First Corinthians 15, 50-something uh, uh, other. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm-hmm. And that whole passage about the resurrection, it's going to happen. And when it happens, you'll see mm-hmm. that, that the suffering you had faithfully was not for no purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And be satisfied. Mm-hmm. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, shall divide the spoil with the strong. This is the image that he led captivity captive. Mm-hmm. He got the spoil. The, 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 uh, because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sins of many, the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, um, the one thing I, we, we can say in conclusion here, because that ends with redemption, and uh, there is the, the, the offering of redemption by our Lord on the cross, and his bearing the sins of many and offering it to all. Um, People are free to respond and not respond, but they're now now we're culpable for a non-response, and that's what yeah. judgment is about. And I, and this is where the this sort of soft-mindedness about the New Testament. We say, "Oh, Jesus, is all about love." No, it's very clear in the New Testament that the conclusion of the New Testament period was the destruction of the Jewish temple in AD seventy. And Jesus is very clear that this happened because you didn't know the time of your visitation. Jesus offered it, the church offered it, and then after generation there was judgment came to those who did not respond. And this is a type of the end of the world. <clears throat> the gospel has gone out and is free to come or not to come, but when God speaks, his word will have impact. And if you reject that word, eventually, eventually the situation is just as he said, the apostles who sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Who sins you retain, they are retained. Eventually those who do not want to come in are outside. And this, why don't we, God could send people to hell? Well, he's, he's not sending you to hell. It's mm-hmm. he's saying, come. <laughs> but, but a lot of our soft heads, soft, you know, just, we want to say, oh, there'll be a judgment. It's like, it's not what the Bible says. And we get fuzzy-headed if you don't understand. Um, and, but part of the, the problem now is we think um, there's an illusion that we live in a world in which there are no consequences for doing the wrong thing. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's not true. Yeah. There we are. All right. Let's pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore.
Thank y'all for being here. Right. Evie, Jim, Phyllis, Elizabeth, mm. Ruth. She's <laughs> now appeared back on camera. <laughs> <laughs> She's been hiding. She didn't miss it. All right, want me to push, push, push leave? So we can sit now, we can talk out of school. <laughs>